CDSW wants to hear from you. Go to cdsw.com survey to submit your feedback and be entered to win one of two Slatter Island Discovery Passes. Witch Hunt contains themes of sexual violence, so please take care of yourself as you're listening. Runaway Witch Hunt. It is and it has been from the beginning a witch hunt. This is a witch hunt. This is a witch hunt. Basically a witch hunt. The witch hunt, if you will. It's a damn witch hunt. We're calling our show Witch Hunt before anybody else can. Hi, I'm Carrie. And I'm Emily. And you're listening to Witch Hunt, a podcast where we talk about sex, consent, media, and all the hot topics of the day. Emily. Hi, Carrie. Happy May. May the 4th be with you. It's gonna be May. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that May is also Sexual Violence Awareness Month in Alberta? Is it in Alberta? Because I feel like there's so many different sexual violence awareness months and they're all different. Is that the Alberta one? The Alberta one is May. Okay. I don't know if it was the national one or the one in the States because I definitely get a lot of feed that April is Sexual Violence Awareness Month. me too. But... The Alberta one is definitely May. Okay. If you want to see a cute picture of me with great contouring while it's up, go to the Alberta government website Ooh. of the announcement of the Sexual Violence Awareness Month. And I'm love one of the people in the back. I love that for you. Happy Sexual Violence Awareness Month. It's gonna be May. The election happened and I looked into the UCP promises for what they're promising towards sexual violence. And I was actually surprised that they even had any kind of platform or any sort of promises. Yeah. Didn't think that there would be anything there, but they they did. They and so it's recognizing that Alberta has the third highest rate of sexual assault in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the UCP has promised five million additional funding for sexual assault services and other support, which is a good thing. So this would be like a twenty percent increase in the funding that they already have. Because I think when I start talking about millions i'm like a million bajillion dollars like i don't really (laughs) know what that means but knowing that there's a 20 percent increase in funding that's definitely something today i am so proud to announce that a ucp government would commit five million in new funding to combat sexual violence and sexual assault and provide services to the survivors of sexual violence Given this importance, the UCP attaches protection of vulnerable women 3.5 million that will be directed specifically at sexual assault service centers, which provide counseling, support, and advocacy for those who most need it on their journey to healing. This represents a 20% increase for the Alberta Sexual Assault Crisis Centers. These new funds would also be used to ensure that all RCMP and other police detachments are equipped to handle and store sexual assault evidence kits. That's frustrating to me. Sorry. Why? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because uh, we keep asking for primary prevention money. And the money keeps... And all of that is, of course, important. Yes. But the research obviously is pointing towards primary prevention yeah. and so where is the money yeah. and for primary prevention that is a really good question 
I haven't seen, I didn't see any money that was committed to primary prevention. I saw more, it was more to, yeah, increase the services that are available. I think that a reason why the primary prevention piece isn't there is because a, there's a significant difference in the way that sexual violence is understood from a conservative lens right. to an NDP lens. Right. And so when you look at the way that NDP talk about it, there is, they say, gender-based violence mm-hmm. a lot. There's a gendered analysis within it. And so they talk about it and look at it through that perspective of power and the perspective of control and the ways that power imbalances lead to sexual violence. And we just don't really see that with right. the conservative government. So of course, they're not going to look at things like developing, you know, uh, programs for awareness campaigns, developing things around uh, in high schools and elementary schools around uh, consent frameworks and, and those kind of pieces because um, they don't identify that is the, you know, reason why sexual violence happens. Um, <laughs> Which, again, is so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And if, I mean, I think that there's a worry that they might cut funding or change, you know, funding for, for sex ed. And, yeah. And again, it's totally. researched. Yeah. There's a lot of evidence that says that comprehensive yeah. sexual health education is a primary prevention strategy of sexual violence. Yeah. So if they decide to cut that too, I don't love that. No, I don't either. Um, there was also some other things that I thought was interesting within their platform, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had this one piece, uh, and it was adopted from the UK, I believe, and Saskatchewan has implemented it. It's called Claire's Law. Mm. And so have you heard of this? Yeah, I have. And so it's if somebody is in a domestic violence situation and they're in fear of their life, they can ask the police service for a background check and see if there has been any complaints put forward. And I don't, I'm not opposed to this. I just want more information because yes. I feel like this is like a interesting concept. I just don't really know what it would actually look like in practice. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think that sometimes with, you know, laws or policies like that, they're sort of this like saying that it's doing something to try and show like hey look like this is what we're doing we care about this but then when you look at how it's actually been put in place like is yeah. it is it doing what it says that it's doing is it totally. actually helpful and i think that that's really important to look into before just being like oh this seems like yeah let's do this seems like yeah. a good idea i'd and like so, to know if it's actually working in saskatchewan yeah, if, yeah me too i couldn't really find any information about what it looks like i found information about them planning on implementing it in saskatchewan but in terms of how it's working i think sometimes we just hear the the launch of things or exactly and we don't necessarily hear Claire's the actual <laughs> how how it looks in practice but again like yeah it's kind of that let's safety plan and give women all the whistles and all of the all the ways to um, plan for their safety, but let's not really take a look at the fact that, you know, uh, I think it's 87% of violence that happens against women is perpetrated by men. Uh, I think that one of the things, the last thing that I want to say about this is what I've been, I guess, getting a lot of reassurance from and guidance and direction about in doing the work around sexual violence is the folks that have been doing this for, you know, 20 years and the people that have been doing this work when there was, because I've only been doing this work when there was an NDP government. So getting mm, that reassurance from people who have been doing this work for a longer amount of time and, and giving getting some support in the ways that we can approach that work 
given the the context that we might have coming up in front of us so totally yeah we need that hope right now yeah yeah so as we know with reporting rates they are very 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 low and i think we talked in one of our earlier episodes about how the rise of me too did end up increasing reporting rates but they're still extremely low what are some reasons why people don't report? I mean, I think that there's probably so many reasons why people don't report. But one of the things that I think is important when we consider, like when we're opening conversations up, I guess, to restorative justice is recognizing that the legal system is, yeah, one way to respond to sexual violence, but it doesn't always support the person who has been harmed in in the process. And so they often are kind of left out of the process or they don't necessarily have a voice within the process. And it also can be super re-traumatizing. And so having an option of restorative justice is something that is often um, an alternative to to the reporting process, to the like mainstream, I guess, legal process that feels more supportive to what the person who's been harmed the survivor is is wanting yeah a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent i think that also recognizing that because sexual violence is often a crime most often a crime committed by someone that people know i think that there is a lot of space i think for different ways of healing that don't necessarily fit with the adversarial justice system and so if we're talking about giving survivors choice recognizing that that choice might not be something that everybody agrees with but there might be different ways that they do want to move forward with what their idea of justice is and i think transformative justice um, and restorative justice processes potentially allow that for for folks and so so i mean and something we're going to be talking about with sam but just this isn't about necessarily throwing out the justice system altogether but offering different approaches and different ways of dealing with things that are more decided by the person who's been impacted by the harm. Mm-hmm. Well, I like that piece that you said about, you know, the way that a community can be impacted. And I know that we'll probably talk about that today as well. But the pieces around, it's not just, it's not only a person who's been harmed, but there is, you know, mm-hmm. a a person situated in a community that has also been harmed. And so, of course, focusing on that individual, but also recognizing the ways that, you know, communities can be impacted from this. And I guess more supportive towards communities and person, the person in the community in healing from it and focusing on what they're needing for their healing and what the community is needing for their healing rather than some prescriptive, justice thing saying that you know we've gone through this adjudication process Mm -hmm. and this is what we've decided this person needs from our you know impartial lens which is of course never impartial and yeah and then I guess the other thing that I would want to say about it too is like recognizing the ways that the legal system it's important to recognize that it has been created by white men and that it is not inclusive of women it is not inclusive of people of color mm-hmm. it is not inclusive as in of indigenous people and so recognizing that there's 
already that imbalance for a woman coming, walking through the, the legal system, an indigenous woman walking through the legal system. Yeah. And the adjudication process also to the person that has caused harm is also very imbalanced depending on, you know, the position, the identity location that they take up, if they're a person of color, if they're going to, you know, likely receive a way harsher penalty, way harsher sentencing, um, and be treated way more, more harshly than a white person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think on that note, too, exactly what you're saying and the recognition that, you know, feminist communities, um, people of color, like they have also been long before the adversarial justice system came into play. They've been dealing with the, the harms that happen in their communities in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so us also recognizing that not everything fits into that system that no. we've created and, yeah. and respecting that many of these things came a long time ago. here today talking with Sam about restorative justice and using restorative justice practices in sexual violence. Hi, Sam. Thanks for coming on today. Hi, thanks for having me. Why don't we just start by what is what is restorative justice? Uh, I think there are lots of definitions of it. And generally, I think the, the common themes in all of them would be to recognize when harm has been caused and then look to remedy or rectify that harm, but extending the understanding of relationships and harm beyond just like interpersonally one-on-one and bringing in understandings of community and how they can be impacted by what might be an interpersonal altercation or something like that, especially when we're talking about sexual violence, Uh, but seeing that within a larger like system and culture. And the need to rectify those harms on a variety of levels. Yeah. So can we kind of go into how do restorative justice practices, how do they operate within context of when sexual violence occurs and how how can that happen? I think there are lots of different ways that that can look. And in particular, with the restorative justice that is happening in situations where sexual violence has occurred. I think there's been a huge movement through the Alberta Restorative Justice Association to emphasize the importance of like survivor-led processes. And so I think the way that any individual initiative or restorative justice circle or something like that goes down really depends on the needs of the person who's experienced the harm and what feels best for them and so it may start out as something that is maybe not focused on a direct meeting with the person who caused them harm so maybe it's like an exchange of letters or something like that Um, and then maybe morphs into something that is like uh, a circle uh, where people actually get together including the harm party and the individual who caused harm other support people mediators uh, and they actually talk about the situation and, and the ramifications of what happened, the kind of fallout. And maybe it starts from that place, but then also devolves into something else that's less personal or intimate or one-on-one if that feels invasive or concerning. So I think really as long as it's centering the needs of the person who's been harmed, recognizes harm in a really, really broad way, and also acknowledges the different levels where 
repair might be necessary, um, then you've got something that's restorative in nature is would be my understanding generally and and something that would be how I would envision practicing restorative justice in community. And people often, I think, get nervous when they hear the idea of it being used in sexual violence work and think that it's some sort of form of mediation. Is it? Uh, We would say no. (laughs) Everyone I've worked with would say no uh, because the fundamental premise in mediation is that, sure, there was a harm caused, but to use a certain orange-colored human's words, there would be harm on both sides or on all sides, right? And so to mediate would be to <laughs> it would be to bring everyone together to sort of come to a mutual understanding of the transgressions on everyone's part. And in sexual violence, there there's no harm done on both sides, right? We're not coming to a mutual understanding of uh, the wrongs that each party is sort of engaged in. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that I would be concerned about entering into a mediation type situation with um, as somebody who's been harmed, so a survivor, victim, um, or, you know, and a perpetrator, because it's just putting everyone on like an equal playing field in a situation that we know is about a power imbalance and, you know, feelings of entitlement and things like that. So, yeah, I think, unfortunately, while that's not what restorative justice is. Um, it's often been practiced right. that way, especially in community where there's just such a lack of resources, um, a lack of like trained facilitators. And also it kind of like is like Erosporos, like eating its tail, right? So you have this sense that it's this mediative process. It doesn't go well. And then um, people are dissuaded from seeking out restorative justice, which means people practice it less, which means you have less people who are skilled facilitators and people scared of doing it. So then yeah. it just like right. continues the cycle, right? Yeah. Um, which I think is is unfortunate and something we often see in like queer communities, uh, racialized communities, is a lot of folks engaging in restorative or transformative processes, but like with really limited resources and skills and um yeah, the best of intentions, I think, and sometimes really amazing community-built processes, um, but it, it just requires a lot from everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and often there's, like, just lots of people quick to detract and to, you know, call out a process without maybe not knowing what was really involved and the intention behind it. Mm-hmm. We've talked so much the last few months about disposability culture and sort of what that looks like and especially when it's playing out in the public eye um but something that I sort of see and like struggle with and again like going back to having those conversations with people to get to a place where they're not just offensive and they'll they'll admit that they've caused harm but then like that space between that and canceling people and what are your suggestions for maybe yes that's the internal processing and it's the personal work but also the process of like community work what do you see as maybe something that can help speed those conversations along a little bit, I guess? I am a really big fan of sort of framing it as it's not everyone's work, but it needs to be someone's work mm. um, to like gently be there for folks who've caused harm and to give them that gift of, you know, knowledge, making different choices into the future. There's different like 
potentialities that that holds. Um, and I think if we are considering the community aspect, then we can all take on that work or relinquish it as our relationships mm -hmm. kind of dictate. Mm -hmm. So I think probably anything this ties back to a lot of things to do with whiteness in particular, at least how I understand white identity myself. Um, we like to, and, you know, ideas about capitalism, imperialism, colonialism is that like we're all very separate, right? And it's each person makes choices and it's on them. And so then with that logic, it's really easy to cancel people and attribute failure or failings to an individual and to be righteous yeah. in mm -hmm. your anger individually. But I, I just wonder how it shifts the the dynamic to think about like if you if one of you is hurting and we're close and I'm doing okay how can I take on that burden of then mm -hmm. repairing relationship or addressing those harms with somebody else to free you up to feel what you need to feel because healing is different than accountability and maybe or justice like maybe those things happen in parallel or like come in and out of each other's journeys but um, they're not necessarily one and the same. And that goes back to the idea that like RJ isn't everything and mm -hmm. isn't like a cure-all. Mm -hmm. Like this is the way that everything's going to be <laughs> yeah. different. Like I think there's a lot of other things that we need to address along the way. So mm -hmm. I, I think probably questioning those ideas about the individual and responsibilizing individuals and losing sight of those structures. And so moving towards more of a, a community mm -hmm. feel. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's really easy to just like bandwagon. Yeah. Yes. Um, so for me, like I think it's probably not an issue for an individual to cancel another individual <laughs> from their life if that's what is really safest for them. Yeah. But it doesn't mean we all just get to because um, that's a pretty lonely, shitty place where harms, I think, fester to leave a person in. So how, how do we understand our role in community? And, and similar to when we talk about bystander intervention, right, is how do we take accountability as a community for these things? Mm -hmm. um, you're going into it a little bit, but getting back to ideas around sexual violence, what can restorative justice practices offer instances of sexual violence? The biggest reason I was interested in even pursuing this conversation in my work uh, was just the what I would call like a restorative impulse that mm -hmm. I was hearing in people who were seeking support after particularly sexual assault. So that desire just really to have somebody know that what they did had an impact, mm -hmm. help them understand why it was wrong, and then try and set them up not to do that into the future. And to me, now I understand that is just asking for a restorative process. Mm -hmm. So I think it's what um, so many survivors, victims uh, have been asking for yeah. for a really long time. And again, if we're moving to right those power imbalances, then I think anything that puts that power and control back in the hands of somebody who has had that taken away is uh, pretty important. So I think it, it just seems to speak very naturally to what I've heard expressed from from people who've been violated in that way mm -hmm. yeah I think I think it just can be a process that offers a lot of control and a lot of agency a lot of community a lot of 
opportunities for healing maybe outside of mm-hmm. that process because I don't think while they're not the same I don't think they're mutually exclusive mm-hmm. and probably promote one and the other mm-hmm. and so that to me I think sounds pretty great mm-hmm. and then the, there are things that it offers the person who's engaged in harm right mm-hmm. a way to feel like they can make amends for the wrong to make different choices into the future to do their own sort of healing work mm-hmm. and all of this really just goes back to breaking the stigma and silence around sexual violence which is something I think we've all been trying to do in our work for a really really long time totally and I think that that like I love sort of ending there and that that I think is the common misconception is that you know there's this like the RJ isn't the only answer the battle of the justice systems what's the best way to respond it's none of that it's what's the best way for a person to move forward and what's best for them and if we don't offer them enough solutions then people can't move forward in ways that feel authentic to them but they need to be able to know that there's other ways and so I love the idea of like the impulse and the different ways in which people might want to move forward in their healing journey but that I think often these conversations can get bogged down in it's this way or this way or this way or something's replacing something and it isn't about that mm-hmm. because there's so many people who like for every person who comes in and has that restorative impulse there's somebody who thinks that you know that retributive model of justice an eye for an eye having somebody suffer some sort of harm um, is the only way that they're going to feel that sense of justice and I think that that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. in our world and just as I wouldn't judge as survivor for healing in any specific way or coping in any specific way I also don't judge or begrudge somebody who feels like that is uh, an appropriate avenue for them to go down and a desire Mm -hmm. that they have I think that makes a lot of sense I I think that doesn't mean that either process is wrong or flawed or better better than the other like you were saying and also shouldn't make us feel complacent about either system I think that's like a Mm -hmm. big concern that I have sometimes is um restorative justice is used as this uh remedy to a broken criminal justice system um which I think like in a perfect world it is but like I said you still have so many people who feel like retributive justice is what they want and need and who are going to seek out that Mm -hmm. criminal justice process for whatever reason so if we just give up on it if we just desert it if we don't work on reform um from a lot of different angles then I think we're still missing uh something really big Mm -hmm. I think it all goes back to that idea of like simultaneity right we can have both Mm -hmm. of these things and engage with both of these processes and ideas um, and push for things to be better without mm-hmm. like giving up on the other necessarily or making a value judgment about the other thanks sam thanks sam <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me this is fun <laughs> thanks for coming up When I was on my walk today, I saw this kid that was wearing a t-shirt that said Jurassic Park, and it had a cat on it, like the Jurassic Park logo. 
but her asset. Are you really her. into cats now that you found that one cat outside your house? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I'm just here for good puns on t-shirts. All right. I like that for you. Other things we're here for? Other things we're here for. I'm here for an interview that Tarana Burke recently did uh, where she was basically talking about something that she's worried about with the ripping down of the meaning of Me Too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we talked about it a little bit in an earlier episode, but that uh, the stories that aren't being reported in the media. And so she was just talking about how as a culture, as a society, we're so obsessed with celebrity. And so that's a huge reason of why the reporting is going the way that it does in terms of the media. But something that she said <laughs> that I think also this like idea that it's a witch hunt, she says, the movement is not a witch hunt. And we don't have a list of men we are trying to take down, but rather Me Too is about making sure that survivors have the resources they need to craft their own healing journey. And that goes for all women of all kinds, as well as male victims. Love that. Love that. And that's exactly what we're talking about with these alternative approaches to justice is people being able to have different resources to craft their personal healing journey. And it's not going to look the same from person to person. And that's okay. Totally. More like witchcraft. Not I know. I love, I, I right? Exactly. I love that craft is in there. <laughs> yeah, Should we too. change our podcast to witchcraft? No. No. But here for the witchcraft. Witch Hunt was created and recorded on Treaty 7 territory. 